Well, to all of you watching online and all of you in person at West Ward, South Lake, and North Richland Hills campus, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Hills. It has been a year full of challenges. It has also been a year full of blessings, and we want to finish the year well. So I'm excited about our candlelight services Thursday at 7 o'clock and Friday at 3 and 5 o'clock at every campus. I want you to bring a friend, bring your family. I promise they will receive a tremendous blessing. And then next Sunday, we're going to be blessed uh, as we're worshiping at home with family and guests, uh, listening to Dr. Derwin Gray. We are going to finish the year strong. Now, the week of Christmas always fills me with great anticipation and some trepidation. Will this finally be the year that my wife doesn't take back a single gift that I give her? I appreciate the two guys talking right after Christmas. One says this year, I nailed it. I got my wife a big, shiny diamond ring for Christmas. And the other guy says, well, I thought your wife wanted one of those uh, four-wheel drive sports utility vehicles. And the first guy said, yeah, but where is I going to find a fake Jeep? Okay, it's not easy to find just the right gift. But we do this because Christmas gives us this unique opportunity to let special people know we love them. And we do it through our Christmas cards. We do it by showing up at their house and singing carols, by making and bringing a lot of food, by giving gifts to one another, even by decorative wrapping. Yes, we wrap our presents as a way of saying we care about you. That's why, for example, when we first married, I never wrapped Jamie's gifts. I'm bad at wrapping. If you get a sack with no tissue paper stapled together, that's me. But I would take Jamie's gifts and I would take them to a special store to get personally wrapped. I would do this for no one else, but I wanted even the wrapping of her gift to say that she was special. See, what we've done in this series this month is argue the greatest gift ever was placed in a manger by his virgin mother. And the way he was wrapped proved that the giver was motivated by love. What Christmas does is help us know who God is. How would we know if he didn't make a move in our direction? Oh, granted, the vastness of the universe would communicate somehow that the maker is powerful. The intricate design of creation would communicate that the creator is wise. But how would we ever know that God is love if he had stayed in heaven? Seminary professor Al Lingren tells the story of taking his junior high son fishing. They had a lot of time to talk. And the boy said, Dad, what's the hardest thing God ever tried to do? And so being a good professor, he turned it around and said, what do you think? And his son said, well, after science class, I thought maybe making the whole universe would be the hardest thing God had to do. And then listening to the stories in Sunday school about Jesus' miracles, I think maybe things like coming back from the dead. But then talking to my friends at school, they don't know God. I think the hardest thing God's ever tried to do is to help people understand him and know what he's like. Brilliant answer. And his father replied, son, you're right. That's the hardest thing God's ever tried to do. And there's only one way he could do it. You see, what I love about Christmas is that it challenges the bad rap God often gets. 
Do you know no being in the cosmos gets slandered and misrepresented more than God? God is constantly getting a bad rap. From some people who depict him as this aloof, ticked-off deity that is impossible to please. By other people who view God as some austere rule maker who gives you a bunch of commands and says, try to fix yourself. Some people give God a bad rap by accusing him of being absent when they needed him. And then I hear a lot of people give God a bad rap for breaking promises he never made. Can I just tell you that God never promised that if you would be obedient, he would give you an easy life, that you would never suffer or have a trial or have a relationship be hard. He never promised that. Yet God is constantly slandered by that and other baseless accusations. And how does he respond to all this? He responded by the cry of a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. Or as John put it, this is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we could have life through him. That Jesus was wrapped in love. And let me unpack that for a moment. That the very way he wrapped the sun was God's way of trying to say, I love you. His birth, for example, is love keeping a promise. The reason Christmas happened at all is because God is a promise keeping God. When the very first couple fell, when they turned their back on God, God said to the serpent who tempted them, from her will come a descendant, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. What God promised at the very start of the Bible was that the enemy was not going to pervert his good intention to have a creation and a world full of his children who love him. That God was going to do something about it. What Bethlehem was, was God launching an offensive against the enemy that he had promised long ago he was going to launch. And so the Old Testament is basically the story of how God is preparing the world for the keeping of his promise. He calls out to Abraham and says, from you, I'm going to raise up a nation because I need this nation whose Messiah is going to bless all the nations. He pulls Israel out of bondage to foreshadow a greater deliverance that is on the way. He establishes a kingdom with David, again to foreshadow that there is a greater king and a greater kingdom that is coming. He has prophets predict the coming of this ultimate deliverer and king. And yet every person God used to prepare for the promise, every prophet, every priest, every king was a deeply flawed person. And yet broken people could not keep God from his promise. Broken people will not cause God to break a promise. Let me tell you why that's important. Because some of you have been wounded by promise breakers. The pain is real, and some of you are dealing with it right now. Maybe it was a parent or a mate or a mentor or a business partner, or a former friend. 
And they broke a promise. And their unfaithfulness has deeply wounded your spirit. And here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to step into that pain. And he wants you to project it onto God and give God a bad rap. That's one reason we need Christmas. To remind us God doesn't break promises. Christmas is a love you can depend on. I'm one of two sons, the oldest. My father loved sports, so his boys loved sports. His boys played sports when we were young, lots of sports. My younger brother was a good athlete. He always played. He almost always played very well, so my father had the experience at almost every game of having other parents tell him how proud he must be of his son. And then there was me. I was a very average athlete. Often there was no guarantee I would get to play at all. I cannot tell you how many hours of his life my father sat on a bench watching me sit on a bench. I remember one frigid February in baseball. I had a doubleheader. I didn't play the first game. I didn't get to come up to bat until the very last inning of the last game and struck out on three pitches. And I never had to wonder if my dad would not be there at the end of the game. Never had to wonder if he'd get tired and leave. I never had to wonder if he would show up. My dad promised he would be at my games, not because I was a good athlete, but because he was a good father. And Christmas says, you have a God that has promised to show up, and he did. Christmas says, God will do whatever he says he will do. And what God says he will do will be good. Because if his birth is love keeping a promise, his life is love put into practice. You see, Jesus knew that God gets a bad rap. Just as true when he was born as today, all kinds of views about God that were misrepresentations. In fact, in many ways, the mission of Jesus wasn't to get God to change his mind about us. It was to get us to change our minds about God. And Jesus did that by being God's selfie. It's not just that Jesus is like God. It's God is like Jesus. John says, no one has ever seen God. But God, the only son, is very close to the Father, and he has shown us what God is like. And what is God like? Well, God is love put into practice. God really likes to love people. If God is like Jesus, then God loves Jews and Gentiles. He loves rich young rulers and little old tax collectors. He loves prodigals and he loves elder brothers. God loves religious people and God loves people who've been hurt by religion. And God doesn't just love people with words. If God is like Jesus, God loves people with deeds. 
God wrapped himself in flesh and then wrapped himself in a towel. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Peter summed up the whole life of Jesus in this one phrase. You know, Jesus went everywhere doing good. If he saw hungry people, he made sure they got to eat. Sick people got well. People possessed by demons got released. People cast out and discarded got embraced and wanted. He went around doing good. Now, the mission of our church is to make and grow people that follow Jesus, people that imitate Jesus. So in some ways, the mission of our church is to produce a bunch of do-gooders. And if we are do-gooders, we're helping God get a better rap. We're changing the impression people have of God, just like Jesus did. And church, you're doing a good job. So many of you are doing good, serving in our children's classes, giving up vacation time to go to Royal Family Kids Camp as counselors, going once a month to a school to mentor fourth graders in Academy 4, having respite nights where you serve children with special needs, advocating for asylum seekers, fostering children. You're doing good and you're giving God a better rap. And what about your generosity? You're such a generous church. In fact, I've got some cool news. Not only have we gone over our harvest offering needs for next year regarding mission works, church plants, evangelistic efforts, you did last year too. Last year you went over our needs by over half a million dollars. So we had the joy of deciding what to do with it. We didn't want to put it in some fun and for a rainy day. We said, no, you gave the money to be used, to be given away that year. So we have. We got together with some Bible translation organizations consistent with our nation's and generation's goals and said, we want to help do more in Bible translation work. We're helping to fund uh, a translation of the scriptures for the Duke people on the Solomon Islands to read the Bible for the first time. We gave money to some of our church planners. Next month, we are funding a retreat for church planners across the nation just so they can have some renewal. Hey, this is cool. Nations and generations go for the next five years to help start 15 churches. Well, guess what? The goal is now 16 churches. You gave so much money, we have enough to help get another church started. Isn't that cool? We were able to give $50,000 to missionaries in Greece to help Afghan refugees who are resettling after having to flee their country when the Taliban took over the government. We gave $50,000 to Pearl House, a school in Ghana that serves girls who don't always get to go to school. We gave $30,000 to our Celebrate Recovery Ministry because it's growing so fast, helping people break generational sin to bless the next generation. We even bought a, uh, uh, it just slipped me. <laughs> yeah, we brought an ultrasound machine for a, a Christian clinic in the mountains of North Central Mexico, helping the Tamahara people. Church, we were able to do so much good because you're generous. And when we do good, we help God get a better rap. You see, when love gets put into practice, people get 
helped, especially people that can't help themselves. And what Jesus showed us about God is that God likes to help people, that God likes to treat people better than they deserve, that what most people think about God is not true. God likes to love people who don't deserve it. Now, to illustrate, we're going to take a quiz on every campus and online too. Who is the greatest character ever in a Christmas movie? Is it George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life? Is it Bob Wallace in White Christmas? Or is it John McClane in Die Hard? And yes, we're going to settle it. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So let's just take a vote. Hold up your hand. Every campus online. Is George Bailey the greatest Christmas character ever? Is Bob Wallace the greatest Christmas character ever? Is John McClane the greatest Christmas character ever? Okay, I'm here to settle it. You're all wrong. The greatest Christmas character ever in a Christmas movie is Ralphie. And if you haven't taken your kids to see a Christmas story, you need to repent. I love that movie because there are several scenes that preach the gospel. For example, Ralphie's obsession is a Red Ryder BB gun. And everything is conspired against him. His teacher, his parents, even Santa Claus. On top of that, a bully bothers him every day. So one day he loses it. He starts pummeling that bully, obscenity spewing out of his mouth, and his mother catches him and takes him home and tells him to go up to his room and wait for his father to get home. His father is a quick-tempered man. And Ralphie thinks, this is the day I will die. <laughs> Little brother Randy is silent under the kitchen sink crying. And when mother says, why? Because dad's going to kill Ralphie today. <laughs> Your dad pulls up in the driveway. You hear the front door open. Ralphie says, I might as well go down and face my execution. As he's coming down the steps, you hear dad with the paper saying, well, so what happened today? And you hear mama say, Ralphie got into a fight. He puts the paper down. He looks sternly at his son. A fight? What kind of fight? And his mother says, oh, you know how boys are. I gave him a talking to. Oh, I see that the Bears are going to play the Packers on Sunday. And Ralphie has an epiphany. He realizes, I've just experienced Passover. <laughs> Judgment that should have rightly fallen on my head is going to miss me because someone else had mercy. Christmas says God loves you with a love you will never deserve. In fact, it says God loves you to death. And so if his birth is love keeping a promise, his life is love putting to practice, his death is love paying a price. Here's the thing, we're not okay. I know the cultural Kool-Aid we're told to drink says everybody is okay just the way they are, but none of us are okay. None of us are what we ought to be. If I'm okay and you're okay, there never would have been a Bethlehem. We're not okay. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what we deserve is to be separated from God forever. God would be totally just if he said, you will spend eternity without me. But God could not stand the thought of heaven without us. And so he came to earth for us. He came to our place. He came to take our place. 
You see, the essence of sin is I put myself where only God belongs. And the essence of salvation is God's willingness to put himself where only I belonged. The wages of sin is death. A man should die for his sins. But the God-man, fully God, fully man was born to live a sinless life so that he could die for me. Only divine wisdom could have birthed such a salvation. And only divine love could ever allow such a salvation to be birthed. The cross is God's ultimate argument against the bad rap he so often gets. Paul says God shows his great love for us in this. God died for us while we were still sinners. John says, this is what real love is. It's not our love for God. It's God's love for us. He sent his son to die in our place to take away our sins. The cross is the ultimate argument against the bad rap God so often gets. So, a lot of us have been blessed by a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. It was written by a Catholic priest named Brennan Manning. His name wasn't Brennan when he was born. He grew up in Brooklyn. His best friend was Ray. They did everything together, went to high school together, bought a car together, double dated together, enlisted in the army together, went to serve in Korea together. They're in a foxhole. Ray's chewing a candy bar. A live grenade came into that foxhole. Ray took one look at his friend and put his body over that grenade, and the explosion killed him. And so, when Manning returned and decided to become a priest, at his ordination, they said, you must choose the name of a saint. And so he chose the last name of his best friend, Ray Brennan. And years later, Brennan Manning is in Brooklyn visiting Ray's mother in her apartment. And he asked this question, do you think Ray really loved me? She got up off the couch, shook her finger in his face and said, what more could he have done? And in that moment, he says, I had an epiphany. I imagine myself standing in front of the cross, wondering, does God love me? And Mary coming and getting in front of me and pointing to her son and saying, what more could he have done? Nails don't hold God on a tree. His love for you did that. And so my hope and prayer this Christmas is that you would let God love you. For some of you, that's really hard. 
Some of you wore yourself out last year trying to convince God to love you. Some of you have been told enough lies about God, you're not sure if He's there, and if He is, if He would care about you at all. Some of you, it's what you've done. Some of you, it's what someone did to you. My hope and prayer this Christmas is that you would finally just let God love you. You can't do anything that would make God start loving you more. You can't stop doing anything that would make God start loving you more. Because His love for you is not based in your nature. It's based in His nature. Which means that His love never fails. And it never gives up. Paul put it like this, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He did not say that if God loves you, nothing bad will ever happen. What he said was nothing can ever happen that is going to cause God to stop loving you. Nothing you did, nothing ever done to you. No matter what happens, God's love has you wrapped up. And so this Christmas, would you just let God hug you? And so one of my all-time favorite Christmas illustrations was from a man named Roger Kaiser. He's a writer who advocates for orphans for good reason. He was one. And as a young boy in the Depression, his favorite time of year was Christmas. It was the only time of year where he had even the slightest idea of that maybe he was somebody worth caring about. His favorite day of the year was the day that they got on the bus and they went to downtown Jacksonville to the Mayflower Hotel and had a lunch for orphans. He loved it for two reasons. One was the food. He would get two pieces of meat, green vegetables. He would get two rolls with butter. But the main reason was Santa. He'd get to walk across the stage and he would get a gift, the only gift he would get. But he couldn't be too giddy. Mrs. Winters, the, the uh, matron, was a very stern woman. And she made it very clear, if any of you kids act up, you'll miss Christmas. So it got his time to go across the stage. And he tripped. He fell right in front of Santa. He had to grab Santa's leg to get up. And something came over him. And this little boy said, Santa, can I hug you? He felt someone grab him by the collar of his neck. Mrs. Winter said, move along, Kaiser, you're holding everything up. She jerked him off the stage, leaving his present still on him. And all he could do was sit at his table and whimper until it was time to go get back on the bus. And he's about to get on. And he hears someone behind him yelling, ho, ho, ho. And it was Santa 
chasing him, bringing him a gift, and getting down on his knees, and without even asking, grabbing that little boy and giving him the biggest hug he had ever been given. And Roger Kaiser wrote, I saw something that day I bet nobody else had ever seen. I looked into Santa's face and I realized he had been crying. God came so far, so far, because you were worth it. Because he loves you. And so, this Christmas, would you let God hug you? Just bow our heads. And so, Father, I'm praying that this message will touch hearts wherever it's heard. And I know that there are some people hearing this message right now who need a hug. Whether it's lies they've told or lies they've been told, things they've done or things done to them, what they need more than anything this Christmas is to be embraced by a love that will never let go. So, Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to do something supernatural right now. Would you, in some tangible way, manifest your presence? Would you help whoever needs it right now to feel the hug of God and to really believe they are loved. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to show us who you really are. We pray in his name. Amen.